לקוטי שיחי חלק יתחס, פרשס פינחס, שיחי גמור. It has been frequently explained that though the three Haftaris, during the three weeks commemorating the Temple's destruction, and the seven readings in the weeks following the seven weeks of comfort, are not directly associated with the Torah portions of each of these weeks, and are rather timely and event-related, they do have a connection to the Torah portions read, as everything in Torah is precise, and with intention. Indeed, there's an obvious connection between the Haftarah of this week to the Torah portion of Pinchas. The Haftarah begins with the words, Divrei Yirmiyahu ben Chilkiyahu, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Chilkiah. Yirmiyahu, who was a descendant of Rachav, the harlot, prophesies to the nation, and the portion of Pinchas, Pinchas too descended from a non-Jew, from Putiel, who was Yisrael. The Medrash teaches that both Yirmiyahu and Pinchas descended from non-Jews, and therefore the nation disparaged them. Pinchas's lineage is the reason that the Torah associates him with Aharon HaKoyen, introducing him in the Parsha with the words, Pinchas ben Elozer ben Aaron HaKoyen. Pinchas, the son of Elozer, the son of Aaron, the priest. And Yermiahu's lineage is likewise introduced in, associ- in association with a priestly ancestry with the words Divra Yermiahu ben Chilkiyahu min HaKoyhanim. Yermiahu, the son of Chilkiyahu, of the priests. Obviously, the connection, however, is not in only this one detail that they descended from non-Jews and the nation disparaged them. Therefore, they are associated with the priesthood in their introductions. But there is something beyond that, that each express in their respective divine service. And therefore, this detail is highlighted in the Torah commentary. There's another point that needs clarification here, and that is, why does the Haftarah begin, the Haftarah of the first week of the three weeks, with Divra Yirmiyahu, the words of Yirmiyahu, with first telling us of Yirmiyahu becoming a prophet, and that Yirmiyahu relates in verses 4 through 8, Psukim Dalet through Ches, that Hashem spoke to me, says Yermiyahu, and he said, Beterem etzarachava beten yedaticha, uveterem teitze meirechem hiktashticha. When I had not yet formed you in the womb, I knew you. And when you had not yet emerged from the womb, I had appointed you, novi legoyim nisaticha. I made you a prophet to the nations. Yermiyahu then says, And I said, But I don't know how. I'm a youth. I'm not yet worthy to reprove the nations. To which Hashem answers, Don't say I'm a youth. For wherever I send you, you will go. And whatever I command you, you will say. Don't fear them. 
for I am with you to save you. And Yirmiyahu continues to say that Hashem says to him, Behold, I have appointed you this day, Al Hagoyim, over the heathen nations to uproot, to crush, to destroy, and to demolish, and then Livnois Vilintoya to build and to plant. And only after all of this does the Navi then make mention of the destruction that would come for all the evil that had been done and that it would come swiftly like the branch of an early blossoming almond tree. And of course, the last bit, the part about the destruction that was to come upon B'nai Yisrael, the destruction of the temple, is why we read the Haftarah in the three weeks. So why do we need this entire introduction about Yirmiyahu becoming a prophet? What is the connection between that and the three weeks of punishment? The obvious general connection and common denominator between Pinchas and Yirmiyahu is that in each of their eras, the Jews are found to be in a lowly spiritual state. During Pinchas's time, the events of the daughters of Moab seducing the men of Israel occurred, as well as the event of the nation serving the idol, the Baal Peor. In the time of Yirmiyahu, there were Jews prophesying in the name of the idol Baal, and in other ways distancing themselves from God, as the Navi tells us. Each of them, Pinchas and Yirmiyahu, aroused the nation to repentance. Yirmiyahu, through reproof and chastisement, an instructive correction, and Pinchas by killing Zimri in witness of all the nation who had seen the sins being committed and were thus all brought to repentance. Pinchas's act of vengeance for God's name is thus described in Torah with the words, Bekanayas kinasi b'seicham, who avenged me zealously among them, among them, say the commentaries, within them, his act of zealousness awakened the nation to repentance, penetrating deeply within them and thus bringing them forgiveness for their wrongdoings. So Pinchas and Yermiahu both brought the nation back to God in repentance. But then so did many other leaders of Israel. And this is not unique to them. Bringing repentance and forgiveness to the nation occurred often through the prophets of Israel. So this common feature alone cannot be what connects them. It is in fact the way they awakened the nation to tshuva that connects Pinchas and Yirmiyahu. The Gemara speaks of the difference in the prophecies of Yishayahu, Isaiah, and the prophecies of Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah. In the Talmud, in Baba Basra, we learn Yirmiyahu Kula Chorbana. The book of Yirmiyahu deals entirely with the destruction of the temple and exile. Yishayahu deals entirely with consolation and rebuilding the temple. This is actually alluded to in their names, Yishayahu relates to the term Yeshua, redemption, savior, and the name Yirmiyahu contains the word Mar, 
bitter, as the sages comment. Why is his name Yirmiyahu? Because in his days Yerushalayim lay ruined. This difference in their prophecies was, of course, connected to the difference in the eras during which they prophesied. As the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, says, Yirmiyahu was in a time of divine rejection and divine concealment, and Yishayahu prophesied in an era of revelations. Yes, the prophecies of Yishayahu contain many chapters of rebuke, for the sins of the nation. The most severe among them, one of the three Haftarahs we read during the three weeks. Yet they are considered all words of consolation because his rebuke brought them to repentance through the words of consolation and the prophecies of redemption that would come through tshuva, through repentance. Yirmiyahu, on the other hand, awakened the nation to tshuva through words that speak of God's rejection and concealment through the story of a destruction that would result if they would not repent. And this connects Yirmiyahu and Pinchas because Pinchas, like Yirmiyahu, brought the nation to repentance through tshuva excuse me, to tshuva, through rejection and concealment and not through divine revelation. Why is Pinchas particularly rewarded for this? Hashem's words indicate that because of Pinchas' actions, Heishivis chamosi me'al b'nei Yisrael, v'kanayis kinosi b'toicham, v'loi kolisi es b'nei Yisrael, Hashem's anger was turned away from a sinning nation via Pinchas' zealous vengeance among them so that Hashem wouldn't destroy the nation or didn't destroy the nation. Hashem rewarded Pinchas with Brisi Sholem, a covenant of peace and an eternal covenant of the priesthood. Looking at the verse, it seems that the primary reason that Pinchas received the reward of Bris Shalem, a covenant of peace, was because Pinchas calmed God's anger against the nation, and he therefore God therefore did not destroy them. And the fact that Pinchas zealously avenged God among the nation seems to be a side detail that tells us how Pinchas calmed God's anger. But this experience of calming God's anger so that Hashem would not destroy the nation is also something that Moshe did several times as the Torah relates. So what's novel about what Pinchas did to secure him this reward of Brisi Sholem, God's covenant of peace? More so, not only did Moshe not receive the reward of Brisi Sholem, for him and his children after him, Moshe, in fact, is refused this reward for the generations that follow, as we learn in Torah later in chapter 27 of our Parsha, the sages explain that when Moshe asks of God, Yifkaid Hashem Ish al to please appoint a leader over the community who would replace him when he would no longer be there, he meant his children who he hoped would inherit his position. 
But Hashem did not agree to this and said, Take Yehoshua ben Nun. Moshe's greatness did not pass to his progeny. There are differences between the service of Moshe and the service of Yehoshua. Moshe, in his prayer to God on behalf of the nation, curbed God's anger, thereby removing the decree against the nation that was in heaven. The nation was on earth, the decree was in heaven. Pinchas, however, through his zealotry, moved the people to repentance and brought them to a state of forgiveness. As well, Moshe begged on behalf of the people. He begged to the point of self-sacrifice, saying, If you don't forgive them, erase me from the Torah you've written. And this was a soul experience of Mesira Snefesh, of self-sacrifice. Pinchas, however, literally placed himself in a position of danger, physical self-sacrifice, because when he killed Zimri, Zimri's entire tribe wanted to kill him, and only a miracle saved him. Of course, Moshe wasn't, God forbid, missing the capacity for actual physical self-sacrifice, but his divine service did not require it of him. And so Moshe's service was milmaila lemata, from above, descending below, a revelation of light. But the service of Pinchas was milmata lemaila, purification below, rising upwards. Therefore, we reflect on Moshe's service primarily through the lens of Moshe Kibil Tairami Sinai. Moshe received the Torah from above, passing it down to his students. And this Torah illuminates for us what we must avoid in this world. The very light of Torah pushes away the darkness, a process that begins above and descends below. Pinchas, however, awakened the nation to tshuva via his actions, breaking the darkness here in this world and elevating the nation to God. Their personal service, too, was uniquely different. Moshe's service was one of the soul. Pinchas was one of the body. When a divine service is a revelation of godliness, it affects and impacts the soul primarily, the soul being a vessel for divine revelation. But this is not a revelation that penetrates the body, the lower realm. While the soul experience impacts the body too, the impact isn't in a manner that transforms the body into a vessel for the light of the soul. And when the service is one that begins below, it's a service of the physical, primarily affecting the body. It is a service that refines the lower reality and uplifts it. This mission of Pinchas, the service that begins below, denotes the connection between Pinchas and Eliyahu. The al and other sources quote the Talmudic saying of Rabbi Shimon ben Lokesh, Pinchas is Eliyahu, Pinchas zu Eliyahu. God said to Pinchas, you have placed peace between me 
and the nation of Israel in this world, so too shall you do in the future. As it says in Malachi, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, that he may turn the hearts of the fathers back through the children and the hearts of the children back through their fathers. The divine service of Eliyahu too was a service that manifested below and rose. As Chassidus teaches, the name Eliyahu is numerically equivalent to 52, denoting the particular service of Eliyahu, which was a clarification and a purification of the physical. 52, ban, is the numerical value of the word behema, animal, the lowest status of man's physical experience, the animal drive of man. This is the explication of the two ways in which the service of Moshe and Pinchas were different. Moshe brought his prayers to the point where God removed his decree from Israel. This was a flow from above to below, while Pinchas, through his actions, influenced the repentance of the nation in a flow that rose upwards from below. Secondly, Moshe had soul self-sacrifice. Pinchas, physical self-sacrifice. Therefore, the Zohar teaches that Pinchas repaired the sin of the sons of Aaron, of Nodov and Avihu, because their sin was such that their soul became extinguished within godliness, but their bodies remained intact, as the Talmud in Sanhedrin describes death by burning, and the Mesiris Nefesh, the physical self-sacrifice of Pinchas, redeemed their bodies. The results of these two types of divine service are different as well. When the service is a revelation from above, descending below, though there is an illumination that takes place below, through the descent of the revelation, there is no change, no purification, and no penetration of this light, which means that it's likely that when the revelation is cut off or passes, the lower reality will remain as it was, untouched and unchanged by the light of the revelation. Therefore, in fact, while Matan Torah caused the impurities we as a nation carried with us to cease, nevertheless, there was room for sin to yet manifest, as it did with a golden which caused the impurities to return. But a service that begins below, when the lower reality purifies itself and elevates itself, when man undertakes the journey of rectification, it becomes a permanent change. Therefore, the sacrifice exhibited by Pinchas wasn't a once-off or temporary. Rather, it remained an enduring constant, described in the Sifri as atoning for the nation until today and until the dead will rise to life again. Hence, the reward of Brisi Sholem, a covenant of peace to be passed on to the descendants of Pinchas, was his reward. Pinchas received this reward because he calmed God's anger in a permanent way, with permanent impact. His reward is then mida keneged mida, measure for measure, 
an eternal covenant for a permanent effect. Now we can turn back to our discussion of Pinchas and Yirmiyahu. We mentioned the difference between Yishayahu and Yirmiyahu and that Yirmiyahu prophesied in an era of divine rejection and concealment and Yishayahu in a time of revelation. This reflects the reason for the difference between a divine service, milmaila lemata, from above descending below, and a divine service that begins below and rises above. The service from above descending below is the service of giluyim, revelations of light reflecting the work of the soul. In the main, this is the service of the era of the temple, of the Beis Hamikdash, a time and experience of solace with revealed divine light versus the service that begins below, which is the experience of changing the lower reality, the very place where concealment and divine rejection manifest. For the individual on a personal level, this is the divine work of purifying and refining one's physical self and surrounds. And this is, in a general sense, the work required in Golos, in exile, in an era of destruction. The work of not being influenced by the difficulties and the challenges of a dark exile, working to transform the very darkness to light, so that the darkness will become illuminated like day. Therefore, both Pinchas and Yermiyahu have their roots in foreign pagan families and why they experience the scorn of the nation of Israel. This shared reality expresses the common point in their divine service of inspiration that begins below and rises upwards. This is their personal service, elevating themselves beyond the source from which they come. And this is their divine service with their environment, where they exist in this world, disregarding the contempt that came their way from others. They awaken the nation to repentance. When light descends from on high in the service of Milmaila Lemata, the light that descends only to a lower level that does not fight the light, or rather, this light descends only to a lower level that does not fight the light. This light that flows Milmaila from above in that experience of divine service cannot penetrate the lowlier level of Mata unless the light pierces and breaks through the lower reality. Yet, when the work begins below, rising upwards, the effort impacts, purifies, and uplifts the lowlier reality, even the lowest experience that scorns holiness. That darkness can be transformed to light. There is a personal level in our divine service to be learned from this. There are some who busy themselves with matters of the soul. They study Torah, spend time in prayer, etc. But they don't pay attention to the work that must be done with the lower part of man, with ensuring that holiness penetrates one's mundanity and physicality. Speaking more generally, 
There are those who do worry about their physical holiness as well as their spiritual growth. They concern themselves even with the holiness of their immediate environment, but it goes no further. They're not concerned about another or about what is outside their immediate reality. It's important to know that this type of divine service cannot be sustained. True, when one is busy with spirituality, he finds himself elevated and uplifted, but when he will need to interact with the world and in the vagaries of the world, he will find that not only can he or she not raise these up, but God forbid he or she will experience a spiritual decline. Therefore, a person must be involved alongside his spiritual efforts, alongside the striving of his soul with the outside world, even with the lowest aspect of world, with the intention of transforming it into a vessel for godliness, for Torah, and for mitzvah observance. This, then, is the connection that we queried earlier on, the connection to the three weeks of mourning the temple, called Bein HaMetzorim, between the narrows. God sent us into exile to purify and refine and transform darkness into light. One could argue, how can I be expected to overcome and live through such darkness, such distance and concealment, and not to fear it, but to transform it into a time of joy and delight? To wit, the unusual beginning of the Haftarah of this first Shabbos of Bein HaMetzorim, Bein HaMetzorim, of this tragic time, the words that God spoke to Yirmiyahu, the son of Chilkiyahu, of the Kohanim, the doubt Yirmiyahu has of his abilities. Kinarani, I am a youth to be a prophet to the nations. And God's response, don't fear them, I am with you. That God is with him and is giving him all the power and might that he needs to change and influence the foreign nations and the foreign kingdoms. This is true for every individual with no regard for the great seemingly impermeable darkness. Know that we are given the kechas, the strength we need to change concealment to light. A soul's descent is indeed an exile, but this is a truth for every being. Every being representing an olam katan, a small microcosmic universe, when the soul descends into its three weeks of anguish, descending through the three worlds of Bria, creation, Yitzira, formation, and our world, Asiya, action, already encountering negativity and evil in the world of Bria, the soul doubts its capacity to fulfill its purpose in the deep exile of this world. And so the soul is told, as it begins this descent, with the words of the first Haftarah of this time of darkness and constraint. When I had not yet formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you, I recognized your abilities, and before you left your mother's womb, I sanctified you and chose you, set you aside to fulfill the task of prophesying to the nations. Don't fear the task of being as a prophet to the nations, 
to the foreign nations within you, the body and beyond the body, the animal soul, your worldly reality. Because even before even before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. You have a holy soul, which is a portion of God above, literally, whose root transcends beyond the journey downward. And before you emerged from the womb, I appointed you. You were prepared in the womb studying Torah and were taught the entire Torah. Yes, when you were born, an angel came and caused you to forget it all, but that's only at an external revealed level of experience. Inwardly, it's all there. It has all remained with you. This makes it possible to then descend to a lowly place and learn Torah, as it was learned in his mother's womb. But, argues the soul, I don't know anything. I'm just a kid. Maybe there's an entire Torah within me, but it's not revealed. I'm but a youth. Maybe I have this soul capacity and I can study Torah and not be frightened by the world. But that's all on a soul level to influence the foreign nations to change my physical reality, transform my animal soul, I'm still just a youth. And so God answers this and says, don't say you're just a youth because it's where I will send you that you will go. And fear no one because I am with you. The soul, this part of God inside you, and the might given in the womb, the study of the entire Torah, isn't enough. Therefore, even after, when the soul is in the body in exile, God is with us, and we're given powers beyond the lowly world to fulfill our shlichus. Wherever I send you, says God to Yermiyahu, and to us, to influence the foreign entities, and even the foreign kingdoms, you will go. This journey transpires in two ways. Through Surmeira, staying away from bad, uprooting it, crushing it, destroying it, and demolishing it, and through Asetev, by building and planting. Beyond that, we are forewarned, as Hashem says to Yirmiyahu, a few verses later, Don't be dismayed by them. Don't break down before them, lest they break you. It's not enough to just save your own soul. You can't stay away from the world and just look after yourself with the argument, but I'm just a kid, too young and unequipped for the fight. Be aware that if your soul has descended into a body and you live in this world, then this world is your concern. Don't be apprehensive about transforming this world into a dwelling for God. With this purpose and intention and service, we will merit speedily the arrival of Pinchas Ze Eliyahu, Eliyahu, the foreteller of the good news of Mashiach's arrival, who will redeem us in the final true 
ultimate and complete redemption.